from the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 61. Sorry, Larry. Jason, am I yelling? 61. 61. Sorry, I was doing my radio voice. Um, so hey everybody, uh, episode 61, I'm Pete, um, one of your hosts, I'm here with uh, Jason, Hello. Larry, Jack, and remotely, Jack, Yo. Jack's up in Boston visiting his grandbaby. Hi everybody! Hey, hey, hey Jack. And uh, our special guest today, we'll get to a longer intro later, be uh, brother TJ Griffin, say hi TJ. Hello, hello. And uh, we also have uh, Troy and Carlos in the house, so hey guys, just uh, hey. How's it going? There you go. That's Troy and Carlos nodded, so we're, 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 we're good. <laughs> I heard that all the way over here. So um, usually the way we start out the show is um, we kind of go around the room and talk about what we've done masonically the past couple of weeks. So, Troy, this short part should be really easy for you. Since you're not a mason, you don't have anything going on. <laughs> right. I took notes. You took notes. I know, because you always ahead. call me first. All right, go ahead, Jason. Uh, we had Autumn Days, right? Or Autumn Day. It's not plural. It's singular, which is kind of the Masonic Village and Grand Lodge Open House in Elizabethtown. Uh, over the weekend, I attended the Legion of Honor, which is the highest honor that DMLA can confer upon a senior DMLA, which is a somebody who's aged out from being a DMLA or a Mason. Uh, what else did I do? I attended Chapter 43. And uh, Larry will tell you more about it, but I saw Larry actually get another degree after forty some years. He joined an appendix. Uh, well, I guess congratulations, Larry. He joined the York right. It's not fair to say you're only a pendant body because you're in a couple. But saw the Mark Master degree, and I think that's about it. The uh, Scottish Rite stated meetings in both of my valleys. And that Larry, was, uh, Larry, did you leave that degree with all your parts intact? Oh, we can't talk about that. No. All right, we're good. All right, but that's about it. All right. TJ, have you uh, done anything with Masons or anything? Have you driven past the Masonic building lately or what, what's been going on? <laughs> yeah, I drive by Masonic buildings all the time. There we go. Um, not much to report on Masonically recently. I did celebrate one of our brother's birthday, Jose Rios. Had a little get together for him. So that was a good thing. And and I'm just happy to be to be here and be a part of what's going on. Well, we thank you. And um, yeah, so we're, we'll get back to you a little later with a full big, uh, the major interview. Troy. What's going on in your life? Anything exciting? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> That's usually what it comes down to. Well, well we can always edit it out down a minute. It's usually what I'm not doing. Um, actually, I'm, I, I, you know, I think I was talking to Larry about, uh, about joining Masons. And uh, I think back in my dad was a, my dad was a Mason um, out of Westchester, Pennsylvania. Nice. Which is where we grew up. And I, I knew as a as a kid, you know, you thinking, you know, when you're, you know, when you're at that age where your dad comes comes in the house and you attack dad's leg and you take the leg ride, you know, and uh, I always wanted to be what he wanted, what he, you know, all the things that he was doing. So I want to be, you know, I want to be a mason. I want to be in the, I want to be an officer in the, in the social club, and you know, because nice. he was like the Fred Flintstone, you know, like he's the man about town. Yeah. Uh, 
Carlos. Oh, I forgot Jack. Well, we'll get back to Jack. Carlos, what do you have? You have anything going on in the past couple weeks? I uh, <clears throat> actually got to see a lot of Masonic activity on the Lamberton Lodge webpage. So <laughs> even though I wasn't physically there, I was connected through the web. <laughs> is that is this still a look back into the past of five years ago when I last edited it? It, it was good. It was all. Right. Hey, I'm live. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Harley up in Boston visiting your granddaughter. What's going on with you? Hey, everybody. Hey, um, Masonically, the big thing for me was being the presiding officer over uh, Larry Maris. Getting another degree after what forty years, Larry? Forty-four. <clears throat> Forty-four. So, so that was very cool. Um, really proud of my York Rite chapter. Um, we've we we seem to be developing some momentum to bring things back and get some new blood in on the floor. We've got guys that can do the work, and we had six candidates for the Mark Master degree at this meeting. And we had seven, but one of them couldn't make it for job reasons. So that's a great uh, that's a great testimonial to what's going on in the chapter right now. We're really excited. But that's about it, Masonically speaking. And uh, being able to come up here and visit the kids and the grandbaby is just amazing. Larry Maris. So tell us about, I mean, you. that's big news. You actually got a degree. Yes, I did. Did you get to exemplify it? Exemplify it. What the hell are you talking no, about? No, he did not. <laughs> okay. That means you were the one chosen to walk around the room. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Uh, I think they have a rule that they're not going to allow me to walk around anything <laughs> or kneel for that matter. There's a reason for that. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate that. Did you get a chair? Hey, I got you covered, brother. Yeah, I'm covered. Totally. No, but uh, I had Goose and Gridiron Thursday morning, went to uh, Chapter 43. Uh, and, and, and got my Mark Master degree. And I'm going to tell you, I was very impressed. It was a beautiful degree. I listened to the oath and obligation, unlike anything I've ever listened to in our Blue Lodge. Uh, the guy that did the presentation was nothing short of spectacular. He was phenomenal. I'm going to give him, pro I'm going to call him out, Larry, right now. Um, that was Jason Martin. Um, Jason. He's in our lodge. He's a past master at Ephra Lodge. And Jason is a senior demole and a ritual machine. He and Josh Palmer, between the two of them, are the, the two best ritualists I, I've come across. But Jason, absolutely, for the first time ever conferring that degree, absolutely slammed it. That's unbelievable. First time. He was, he was spectacular. He really, really was. So, Larry, have you figured out what your mark's going to be for your mark? Uh, yeah, Mason? I already did that. I wrote it down the paper. Is it like I, a bottle of Maalox or yeah. something? <laughs> He's going to let Jeff Moyer <laughs> draw it. It's, it's going to be a, a giant it's, middle it, finger. It's actually a pee pill. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Lasix. <laughs> and, of course, I, I attended Autumn Day as well at Masonic Village. So that's pretty much what I did. When you left, did they try and put it, catch you with a net? Like, like, yeah. were you like, you thought you were escaping? Oh, God, yeah. They're, they're pathetic. But I, I love the village. It's, it's a fantastic place. It really is. But you, you're right. Oh, and, and Larry volunteered to be a, uh, make a sign and man the booth for Grotto at the next uh, Autumn Day. I didn't volunteer. You, you forced me didn't into you? doing it. I, I'm, I misunderstood. I thought you were volunteering to do that. No, you, you appointed me. I blinked. Oh, I blinked or right. 
That's, called, that's, called, Val- really that's called Voluntold. You were, yeah, you were yeah, Voluntold. Voluntold. There you go. It's called Voluntold. My, uh, Voluntold. So, yeah, my, my only Masonic thing, I guess, was uh, council. Um, we had, like, for our September meeting, which was nothing fancy, no big thing. We had 35 men in the room, which is insane for it was council. past thrice illustrious master night? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, I read the notes. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a, it was a, a great meeting, um, and we uh, voted to upgrade our regalia, so I don't have to wear this collar and apron from 1890 anymore, that's falling apart and held together with with pins. Um, but I still have to wear the nasty hat that my my crown as deputy illustrious master is. It, it's just vile. It's how dirty it is inside. But oh. it's got tons of history on it. it yeah, and in it. <laughs> Oh, well, I, right, that's, I, I do have one more bit of news. Oh, oh so we, well, I thought we were done. Go ahead. Sweet. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, and we can thank uh, our Grand Commander, our uh, brother Dave Galatley for this. Sovereign Grand Commander. Sovereign Grand Commander. Thank David A. Galatley. I'll, I'll get the. Uh, 33rd degree. Yeah, I'll get the, I'll, thank you for that. Of the ancient accepted Scottish right of the Northern Masonic you're, jurisdiction. You're supposed to know that. I'm not. But anyway, uh, Jack and everybody else, just to let you know, I'm back in the Scottish right fold. You paid your dues. Yeah, oh. I did. Yeah. Outstanding. And I did it because of you. Officially. And Jason. Officially. And Pete. Officially, he's got, not yet. I got tired of hearing the crap from Somebody's you Somebody's got to push the paperwork through. <laughs> All right. So we're <laughs> sitting gonna, on my desk. <laughs> so but we'll, you have the checks. I do. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk to, uh, have a conversation with Brother TJ Griffin of The Vision. Is it The Vision Project? Vision Program. Vision Program. We'll be right back. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster, all to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market. And a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse. Or Valley Forge and Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life. One that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Past Master Dave. We're back, and uh, our guest this evening, and I'm saying this evening because in your part of the world, it could be any time of the day is T.J. Griffin. And I, I've known T.J. for at least about three years now. Four. You are a Freemason. You're a member of Lamberton uh, Lodge in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we got to know you then. You served as chaplain of our lodge. And, but more importantly, too, you're running a program called Vision Program. But I'll, before we get there, I want to talk to you about the fact... <laughs> He you wants know, to, Larry wants to talk for 20 minutes no, and no, not interview you. No, 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 no. I'm making a point here. 
Anyway. 66% of the battery left, Larry. Oh, Larry. They, they rough on you, Larry. TJ, you know, this is kind of, we're, we're celebrating, unbeknownst to us, media month. Uh, we had the uh, producers and writers for Lodge 49 on the show from AMC. Last week, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, Matt Blaisdell on, the media director from We're 10 minutes NMG. into the interview. We haven't heard our guest. I know. We're 65%, and Larry. tonight, continuing the celebration of media month, we have T.J. Griffin, who is a star in a motion picture. <laughs> the title of the, the, uh, the movie is Choice. It's the Ron James story, which is going to be released when? It has been released in limited theaters throughout the country in May. In May. It's not available for purchased, purchase yet or streaming until 2019 sometime. 2019, okay. So it should be on Prime or Netflix or something coming soon. That is awesome, absolutely. You're also a star of stage because you just did a TED Talk on stage in a very elaborate setting. Uh, and, and I just want to say, since you know, you're a media personality now, uh, I wanted to bring that out before we get into it. But tell us about Vision Program. Wait, do we have to pay him ASCAP or anything? Because I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> I'm not a we have no money, TJ. I'm sorry. Not not union? I am not a recording artist. Okay. okay. We, keep, we keep begging, but we have no money. <laughs> <laughs> so v- Vision is an acronym for Values Inspiring Students in Overcoming Negativity. And I found out the program in 2012. I was a troubled youth myself and found myself in and out of the juvenile system from detention centers to placement centers and all that good stuff. And by the grace of God, my life changed in my mid to late 20s and I ended up working in the field. At the same time, I'm working in the field with juvenile youth, court adjudicated young men. I'm also working in the music industry in hip hop music. And I'm a kid from the inner city and um, hip hop is not just a music, it's a culture. And I, I, I didn't really dis- discover that until I made a big change in my life where I stopped all the negativity and behaviors and I got a relationship with God. And through that relationship, I wanted to change everything because I felt him changing me. And I tried to, I'm no longer listening to rap music, no more rap. I'm not dressing that way. I'm not going to talk. My language is going to change. I'm, try- I'm just not going to do this anymore. It's too negative. There's too much crap in the music. And I found myself within three months saying, well, the new Eminem's album's out. Maybe if I just buy the clean one. <laughs> and then I did that. And then the new Jay-Z a few months later and this and that. And I, it continued to call me. I would buy cleaner content. And then after, if, if you didn't know anything about hip-hop, if you buy an Eminem album, you buy the clean one, it's practically an empty album. <laughs> right. My name, bleep, my, bleep, bleep. That's all it was. So long story short, I didn't understand why I could not just put it down and stop. And um, there's some other things that happened as well with the way I dress and certain things. And I, through research, and I found out, no, rap is something you do. Hip-hop is something you live as part of your culture since you were a little boy. So I had to find a way to properly navigate that with being a mentor to youth and also um, being somebody productive and want to do, do well in my community. And I realized that I couldn't just erase this. This is part of who I am. So then I was trying to balance while well, I'm working in the music industry now, and there's a lot of negative content, but I'm also a mentor to youth. How do I, how do, I do both? And then I realized that I had some success in the music industry with some pretty big, well-named rappers, and I could use that to gain the youth's attention more because now I have credibility with them, third-party validation, something else pointing to the information of the work you put in. So I tried it out. I said, let me show them some videos where I'm in some famous rap stars and see how they respond. And I had their full attention. When you have a, an at-risk youth or troubled youth full attention, 
that's when you can get the message across. So I said, let me let me start a program that uses hip hop culture and hip hop music to grab our at risk youth attention, and then through that, I can get a message across. That's very awesome. So you're um, so you're uh, 35 right now. How old are you? I am 39. Oh, okay. For I a must, few more a few more days. I must be looking at an old website. <laughs> <laughs> Your old bio. Oh, I yeah, yeah. That. Thank you. I got to fix that bio now. I know. Okay. So um, okay. So who so who were your musical influences growing up? So mostly hip hop. When you grow up in the inner city, it's, it's, you're going to get mostly hip hop music. So it was the the first the first record I heard of rap music. My mom and dad split up, and it was a record player who lived on Ann Street in Lancaster, PA, and he had a sugar. My mom had a Sugar Hill Gang record, Rapper's Delight, and I started playing that over and over and over and over. I was just a little boy. That was and considered the first real rap song, right? Yeah, yeah, or at least the first popular. It's one. the first one that really blew up and took this thing yeah. to the next level. And um, through that, I was I was hooked. My first tape was LL Cool J. And I was just hooked when I got that tape and heard him talking about how bad he was. And I seen the video and the big go chain and the Kango and I'm bad and no one's better. I was I was hooked. So a lot of the, the early early hip hop um, artists like Rakim and Big Daddy Kane and LL Cool J and all them dudes really were the the foundation for me. Very cool. And then um, so you you progressed like so career wise. So once you got. See, you grew up in the system. You see, you, you were at Barnes Hall, which is the local, mm-hmm. I guess it's Yick now. Now it's Yicka, yep. Yeah, Youth Intervention Center? Yep. Okay. So uh, can, can you tell us how you ended up there? Yeah, I was running around being a knucklehead. So um, I was in kind of like, I was in a street gang, and I was on probation for messing up in school and things like that. And then I got into a riot, one of these little street gangs in Lancaster, some of the guys had jumped me. And I made it, I said, I'm going to get them all back one day. This is my mentality at this time. And I was kind of like the leader of my crew, kind of. And the guy who had jumped me, I always wanted, he was the leader of his little crew. I always wanted to, I was going to get him back. You know, I was going to get him back. Well, lo and behold, I'm in the juvenile probation office. My mother's in my PO's office, Melody Weidman, never forgot her name, mm-hmm. and I'm with my little sister and her friend in the lobby reading a book, and who walks in with his mom? The guy who jumped me, who started it, who made that I said I was going to get back one day. So we're sitting in the probation, and um, he starts threatening my life, and at this time, I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an at-risk youth with not much guidance, not much um, accountability. I'm acting out on emotion. Not a lot of structure in the household at this time. I kind of did my own thing. So when I got threatened, I did something. And we got into an altercation there. And that's how I ended up in Barnsall. And then did he go too? So then your roommates? No. We were in the same cop car together on the way to the... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's a little more to it, but I'm not going to get into all that. But I, I got charged because I'm the one that... He was just threatening me. I took it to the next level. And then I ended up in a, a placement called ARC, A-R-C, Alternative Rehabilitation Communities. There's a bunch of facilities throughout Harrisburg area. I was in one of them. And um, that was it. So, and, and when did you, what was the time in your life where you feel like your life started to come back around to the positive? I can keep it 100, as they say on here, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I sold drugs for many years. I was selling weed. And by the time my, my son was born, 
my girlfriend at the time, we're living together. By the time he was about three, she had sat me down and said she wanted me to change. She said, I'm tired of people coming in and out the house all the time. You're not, you're not here all the time. And why don't you just get a job and, you know, do what, what, you're, what men do. And I said, well, who, you know who you got with. I told you if we ever get married that I'm going to get married with a white suit, a white fitted hat, some white Nikes, and a blunt in my mouth. And now you want to change? And just was, no, I'm not. I'm not working. I have no education. I'm not working for seven dollars an hour. I'm not doing it. No. And she kind of hurt her a little bit, but she let it go because she could tell I wasn't hearing it. And every few months she would like circle something in a newspaper, like a decent, like Donnelly's hiring, and she'd sit it out for me, and it would upset. I was in no parts of it. So now my son's five or six, and something happened in the house where somebody had dropped some stuff in the house. And she had said she was done, that she no longer needed me. And she actually screamed at me and used and cursed at me, which would never happen before. My ego got in the way. And I said, oh, really? You, give, me a, give me a week and I'll be out of here. Then I sat her down and said, don't put me on child support. I will come bring you money every week. I will pick up my son every weekend. I'm going to be in his life. And she was like, well, I don't really even need your child support or any of that. I just need you to go. And I moved out. And I rented a house right across the street from 625 East King Street. You guys know what that building is? Yes, the uh, castle. Yes, yeah, the castle. It's and the, uh, I, Lancaster County Prison for and I, non-locals. And I sold drugs out of the house across the street from the prison. Smart guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just well, hope those dogs don't catch a whiff as they're walking yeah. the perimeter. I, I was never into the real hard stuff. It was marijuana. I'm not tr- hiding in plain sight. Yeah, that's what it was, right? I'm not trying to minimize it, but that was my thing. What I didn't tell you, gentlemen, is when I was a little boy, my parents separated but my father worked at Armstrong World Industries. He retired from there. So unlike a lot of my inner city friends, I had a dad that makes some pretty decent money. Armstrong was a good paying job. And because of that, he, they put me into St. Anthony's on our street in Lancaster. I went to a Catholic school as a kid. So all my friends around me did not have much knowledge on God. God or Christ, Jesus was a, was a, a, a greasy picture in the kitchen. Yeah, that's God. That's Jesus. That's um, his birthday's on Christmas. That's what my friends, that's all they know. Because I went to a Catholic school, I knew a lot. I knew scripture. I had. A, I knew. So I was the guy that when I would do dirt in the streets, I'm on my knees at home praying at night, praying for forgiveness, hope I didn't hurt nobody. God, forgive me. My friends didn't have that kind of relationship. So I had to tell you that to get to where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm parked in front of the church on Orange Street, if you're, if you're familiar with Lancaster. And I meet a guy, a friend of mine, and I sell him some smoke. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight. And as I go to put my keys in the car, I look over at the church. Remember, I went to this church from kindergarten to sixth grade, the Catholic school in the church. And I feel like I'm supposed to go in there. It's giving me goosebumps thinking about this. I'm like, no, I'm not, I got, I got weed in the trunk. I got drug money in my pockets. I got gold chains. No, 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 no. I put the key back in the ignition, and I pull it out again. I'm like, I'm supposed to go up in here. It was the first time I ever had an inspired thought, that inspired thought to me as a voice of God to take action. And I said, I'm going to walk up in this church. I walked up in the church, broad daylight. It was, if you know what a Catholic church is, very beautiful, but it's dark, candles lit. Went to the middle of the pew, got on my knees, and then cried for 45 minutes like a baby. And I prayed to God. And I said, God, I don't know why you're sparing me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life. Um, if you can give me something I can do that will make you happy and I can take care of my family, I'll do it. I said, please don't give me no $7 an hour job. I won't do it. I can't do it. 
I just just give me something. After I prayer, pray, prayed and cried for 45 minutes, I got up, lit a candle, wiped the tears off my face, and as I'm walking out to church, I knew I was different. I knew it. I felt, I never knew I carried so much weight. I never knew I had this tension until that prayer. And I prayed to God a million times. But this time something happened. And I knew I would never participate in that, in that, in the drug trade again. Got in my car, zoomed right to my girlfriend's house, who's now my wife. Pounded on her door. She opened the door quick because if TJ comes pounding on the door all excited, I could have been raided by the police. I could have hurt somebody. Someone could be after me. She was like, what's going on? Come in. I said, you can't believe this. I just went to church. I just talked to Jesus. I'm changed. She's like, this guy has lost his mind. Hands <laughs> off his noodle. She like, he lost his mind. She looked at me like she like I was crazy. Later on, she told me, when you did that, I didn't believe you. But I knew you believed you. She said, whatever's going on, he he believes it. He thinks this is true. And she she said, oh, that's all I ever wanted you to do. And she took me back. And a week later, I got a job for $7.25 an hour. Well, so you beat it. Well, you beat it. You didn't take seven. You got yeah, that was 25 cents more than the deal. Yeah, yeah right. you're right. You're right. You're right. So this experience you've had was the basis for forming Vision Program. You were feeling that other kids experienced what you did. And if you could give them guidance because you've been there, what a motivation that is. So yeah. tell me about that. Yeah, we should take a break and come back and talk about we that. We should. Okay. Take a quick break. We'll let Larry pee. And they'll... Larry, you don't have to pee. <laughs> no, I don't. He's excited today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Okay. Why choose George J. Grove & Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove & Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than 50 years. From planning to materials to installation, George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. here with our guest TJ Griffin. So TJ, so tell us how did you get um you go from being a rap fan? How did you get involved in the music industry? Were you any any clothes professionally or you just got to meet a lot of guys or wh where did you go with that? So now working um at Telstar Marketing, calling people for Comcast and th through that process I got introduced to network marketing, multi-level marketing. As we know, just people some people love it, some people hate it. Well, because of the network marketing company I was involved in, um, I started reading, which was not something in my in my past. And it was a big, big push that you should read and personal develop and learn things. So through that process, I started learning about entrepreneurship and business, things that my teachers never told me. I have a learning disability. I'm dyslexic. I um, When I study really hard, I get C's. 
society has said, well, you got to go to college and do this and do this and do that and perform well to that, be successful. Wasn't in the book, wasn't in, I wasn't blessed with that stuff. So I thought I had to settle. If I wasn't going to, the only, only way we thought we could make it big and, and, and sad to say in my environment where I come from, f- money is what everybody wants because they never had any. So I don't finance, finance money. Well, society said, you don't have a degree. You're not very smart. When you study hard, you have a learning disability. You have to settle. Go get a good factory job and just cross your fingers. These books told me something different. Robert Kiyosaki, Dale Carnegie, um, all, all, all these authors started teaching me things I never heard before. And I said, wait, you mean the guy with the seeds could run a business and hire the kid that got A's to do the stuff he can't do? That, sound, that made sense to me. So I started reading and, 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 and learning more about business. Got some ideas. On my, I found, we don't have enough time to go through it, but I found my way in the music industry through MySpace. I started reaching out to some artists. I had this idea. And I didn't even know if the artists were really on MySpace. I thought not know if it was a manager. And I hit a couple of them up, contacted them, and they liked my idea. And before you know it, I have some famous rap star cell, cell numbers. And I start generating funds to, to them doing features, unsigned artists in hip hop love to do a song with a known artist. Then they can take that song and use it in their envi- in their market and try to plug it. I was a middleman. I came with this idea, middleman. So once I started doing that and putting, when you put money in somebody's pocket after a while, you become important to them. So now these rappers are paying attention. One of the guys comes down and we start doing this work. Um, I'm taking him to people's studios in their homes to record. And by day two, People were asking if I was his manager. And I'm like, no. No, by day three, he was cutting people off and saying, this is my manager. Talk nice. to him. <laughs> that night, at day three, he said, I need you to be my manager. I said, I don't know nothing about recording artist management. He goes, everything you're doing, the way you're hustling, grinding is management. Then I remembered that there's a place I can go to learn anything I want to learn. It's called the library in Barnes & Noble. So I went and got every music book I could possibly get took that information and got him a major record deal, toured all over the country, worked on soundtracks for major films. I'm in Hollywood, California, working with Zack Snyder, the director of- Superman. Superman and, yeah. and the movie 300, The Watchmen. Yeah. And before you know, I'm in the studio with the, with the remaining members of Queen, doing a rap mashup with my artist in Hollywood. So I actually broke into the music industry off of MySpace with an idea. I would have never even believed I, could, I was capable of something like that if I wasn't picking up these books that said, hey, this is what the, this is what they're not telling you. You have to fail. You have to get your nose. You have to believe and keep going and fail and fail. You have to fail your way to the top. So that's how I found myself in the music industry, and that's how I used that information. Once I got, I didn't know why I was in the music industry. Now I know. Purpose. My purpose is to inspire and motivate at-risk youth or young adults like myself. And I was going through all these motions in order to have something to grab their attention. Now I know why I was in the music industry. It wasn't anything but to have credibility to use it for, for youth. Well, so that's you, how I got it. Uh, you also had a background. You formed your own company. Mm-hmm. You did uh, what voice recordings for... Um, uh, Telephone. Telephone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 did a, you did it as a business. Yeah, I had multiple failures. That was a failure. That was a failure. The music okay. industry, even though I was with Zack Snyder in Hollywood, that was a failure. These, I, had, he had, I had to fail, continue to fail. Yeah. That was one of my first, I met with Score in Lancaster to do that business. I hope you didn't meet with Larry. <laughs> he was there for a while. Were you with Score? Yeah, I was. And I, I remember the gentleman saying, um, I don't see how this was working. I wouldn't buy them. An older gentleman, I wouldn't buy this. 
then he sat in me and kind of killed my dream for a second, sat in me and he said, wait, if you could get Angelina Jolie to answer my phone for me, I would buy it. I said, so you would. And he helped me do my business plan. And I launched that company. We did, we did okay with that company yeah. until we had to stop. Until oh. <laughs> <laughs> we failed. <laughs> now, but now where did, so at what point did you, um, so was this your full-time gig, the music business? Or did you try to have to transition to like, hate to say it, a real job? Yes. So what happened was I was Telstar Marketing and then I did the, the, the network marketing company. Actually did really well in that. And had like a $10,000 month, more money than I've ever seen legally, ever. And I said, I made $10,000 in one month. Forget this $7 hour job. My mentor at the time said, no, don't you quit your job because you don't understand how it is to be self-employed. You don't know how it is to have to wake up on your own. Go do all the work on your own. You still need someone to tell you what time to get up, show up. get your, This is, you're not ready. I said, Dave, I just made $10,000. I'm ready. I you weren't ready? I wasn't ready. <laughs> so within six months, I'm back looking for more work. I ended up working with at-risk youth at a place called Mono's House, DARS. I'm familiar with it. And I was a, a staff member there. So that's when I worked and got into the music industry part-time. I had a full-time gig while I was working full-time in the music industry, too. I mean, it wasn't part-time because I get, I get home at 5 o'clock, and I'm up to 3 in the morning on the online grinding. When most people come home and grab a beer and watch American Idol. I'm on my laptop just hustling and working and grinding and reading nonstop. So that's when I got in the music industry. And then when that failed, my artist lost excitement. I lost it. I got tired of the scene. I got so tired of the scene. And I'm like, now what? Multiple failures though, just more that we have failed on. Then I said, okay, I have credibility now with hip hop. Now I can get and I always have, remember the cartoons where you had a devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other? I always felt that way with, with my music business because I'm working with mentoring youth at Mono's house, but I'm also pushing and promoting some very negative music. It's not all negative, but there's a lot of it is. So I always felt this battle, like, TJ, what are you doing? Now I know what I was doing. It was, uh, it was a higher power working through me to design this plan. And I said, now I can start the vision program, use hip hop. And go into these organizations, these facilities, and teach them and, and mentor them. And everyone shut the door on my face. Said, no, no rap stuff here. That's not good. Ooh. Really? Yeah. When all like the kids there, well, I'm not, I guess in the city, all the kids are city kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what they listen to. And that's their motivation. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. Even the kids that are not the city are hip-hop kids. Hip-hop. So, at first, it was it's scary. Most of these organizations, these facilities don't allow you to rap, write, because it's just, if you don't understand it, you know how negative it is. You don't want your kids walking around, the kids walking around cursing. And so I get it. So people are like, no, no rap stuff. No, we really can't do that here. You actually play the music? No. So doors were shut on me for about six months until Lancaster Yick, Brian Hubbard, gave me my first chance. And um, gave me my first chance. And I said, well, let me take some surveys and get what, the, what your staff think of my program, what the kids think. I did some surveys. And he was like, they love this comeback. And then when that one door was open, more doors opened up. And, and now you speak all over the United States. Yes. On that. Yeah. Now I'm a tra been, I train too now as well. So have, you, have you been able to uh, franchise that? <laughs> or are we work, still working on that? Who knows? Po possibly. It's coming. Okay. Possibly. All right. So I have a, I have a quick question because, you know, now, now we see, you know, programs similar to this and, you know, hip hop and, and street music, you know, being in, involved in all sorts of. Mm -hmm. youth programs. So 
just to give us an idea, I mean, what 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 time frame was this? Was this happening when people were saying no hip hop in our programs? 2012. Wow. 2011. 2012. Wow, that's pretty recent. Yeah. Because I mean, I I, I go I, I'm a I graduated high school '87, and like yeah, so I I was set about the same time frame like. Run DMC, Beastie Boys got my I, I yes. the, the 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 whatever you call it, like the the A list guys and then after I got into it a little bit then I started going back and listening to Big Daddy Kane I'm like oh I dig a little deeper now that I'm kind of got my toe in the water yeah but that it was still kind of fun then yeah and then all of a sudden the rap got kind of a little bit a little gangster and a little yeah. bit dark yep in the beginning it was almost comical. Yep. I mean, it was Run DMC walking around with their Adidas with no, so- no laces, you know. But then they went to like, shooting cops. Yeah. Not Run DMC. No, 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 no. I know what you mean. No. That was NWA. That was Ice-T. Ice-T's a friend and mentor of mine as well. Nice. Yeah. And did I see on your bio uh, Fat Joe? Was that one of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was uh, that was Lean Back, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I did a lot see. of work with Joe. The, the artist I managed, the one that said that's my manager now, is Armageddon, who was Fat Joe's first recruit to his crew, Terror Squad, and he used to write for Joe and produce. He's a platinum producer, so that kind of like grandfathered me into that crew as well. Nice. So, what was your? Uh, so, how did you like think about coming to the Masons? My father, is a Mason, and always was always very interested in it. He was not active, and years later, then my stepfather became a Mason, Carlos Gascott, and I went to my dad, and I said, you know, I, I want to do this, and he said, I think you should talk to Carlos. I'm not active in my lodge, and he has, he thought I should talk to yeah. Carlos and look at Lamberton. Yeah, Carlos is a good guy, and uh, and Kenny, yep. he works for. Yeah, Kenny brought him in, yeah. Yeah. So... I asked Carlos for almost a year and a half before he had even, I'll let you know. And then he told me he wanted to see how consistent I was and how much I really wanted it. So about a year and a half in, he finally said, okay, we're going to give you a petition. So I put, I put brothers through this similar, similar thing. I make them continue to ask and see how hungry they really are. I mean, I think listening to your story in the first part of the show, a lot of Masons would ask, how did this guy become a Mason? I'm not, I don't mean that funny. Mm-hmm. And I know that you said that you, you, know, you were blessed to not ever do any real hard time or, or, or no felonies, real, no felonies. real trouble. So I understand, you know, from a Masonic background, check background, you know, perspective, there wasn't anything there, but did your past come up in the interview process trying to get in? Or do you think that's what that year long period that your Masonic mentor made you wait was what, what he was Car- trying to do? I think Carlos knew that I was, this was years after I left the streets and all that. He right. knew, he knew, he just wanted to make sure he was going to bring someone that was going to be committed and real, I think, and my, you know, I have a clean record. I was part of why. And like, I, I asked that question: Why? Why haven't I been in right. trouble when all my friends have? Yeah, I think that that's a problem that we have in some of our more stuffy lodges. Is we don't take a realistic look at people's, even if they have something on paper or not. You and, know. We, and we should, right? You've ten, twenty years I mean, ago, different life. I mean, look at well, what you're doing well, now. Well, you can look at the stuff on the news right now. Right. Like, like you know. Not that we won't get. I'll, I'll try to be as unpolitical as possible. But they're accusing a Supreme Court justice of doing something inappropriate. And then my question to my wife was, "Okay, let's just say, forget whether he did it or didn't do it. Let's say if he, if you come out there and you say I did this, at what what jobs are now off the table forever and ever and ever? Or at what time do we say, hey, you're a kid, you've grown up, 
we understand. Right. I have a friend back home in Erie that I think would make a, a wonderful Mason, and and he's he does have a felony on his background from doing something violent. And you know, fast forward twenty years from now, he's a drug and alcohol counselor. Exactly. Right. And that's uh, the type of people that can really influence change in youth, because I work with youth, and I know when they sit with a clinician, clinician or even a PO or whoever, and they're from so such a different environment, it's hard for them to relate. Like, how do I? You can't. You I can't relate to you. But you need to have probably a clean record to get those jobs. Probably. Right. Yes, I mean, so, yes, so, yes. So it weeds out some of the people who actually know what's going on. Yeah, you're right. And that's the same thing with the, with the fraternity. I mean, I believe we should do. We have to be careful. I get that. You have to be extremely careful. But I play that guy, Ron James, in the movie who has dozens of felonies. He's saving lives all over the country. He's the epitome of what this fraternity represents. Runs a, a foundation, but he would... He could, you know, his family, nobody would ever give him a shot. But, I mean, God forgives us. You know what I mean? I mean, we deserve second chances, sometimes third chances. So, yeah. Well, I think the fraternity is better with you in it. That's just my Oh, agreed. I mean, I, I sit there and I, I see some of your, um, so we'll definitely share some links in with the, uh, when we post this. But, uh, you know, I've caught some of your, uh, your, I guess even Facebook Live or just whatever, Videos. just some just some of your little talks, and I even commented on one a couple of weeks ago when you know people are accusing you of having making you're, you're thinking your life is so great. Yeah, yeah, you seen that one? Yeah, but I mean, you know, and, and but yeah, because everything that bad happens, you're not bitching about it. Yeah, someone you know, re- reached out for some advice. I, I'm a mentor to a lot of um, at risk youth and young adults, and the more information I'm giving him. He's not taking that, receiving it. And then he finally got mad and was like, well, you know, it's easy for you to say. I'm like, you don't understand. You don't understand. I just don't post it all, post it all. I just don't talk about it. I have all the same issues, problems, concerns, and battles, but I don't stay in it. I, can, I refuse to stay in it. And by the time I want to post something, because there's days I'm ready to do it too. <laughs> by the time I finish, I'm, I'm already moved on. Once you got done typing it, it's out of your, yeah. I, yeah. I believe in the law of attraction. I believe God created the universe to, I mean, it's very powerful. So what I put out, I'm going to get back in. So I, I refuse to put negative content out. So ever. at what point, so Carlos, at what point did, uh, he, he approached you about joining? Yep. He approached and I told him, really, you interested? I said, well, see ya. Let me, let me, I forgot how I said it. Call, call me in a few weeks or let me know. Yep. Think about that. Think about it. this is a big deal. And then he called again a few weeks or months later. I said, "Really?" He said, "I'm busy right now. Um, hit me up in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm in the middle of doing something right now." And I said, "Okay." I just let it roll off. You know, kept it cool. Now I was getting impatient. I said, "All right." TJ told me a couple of weeks. It's been like a month, a month and a half. Text TJ when you get a chance. You know, can you call me or whatever? He calls, approached me. Um, I invited you over. Yeah, invited me over. And I was like, all right, it's finally happening. So we had a talk. Go home and think about it. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's been over six months already. How much more you want me to think about it? But, you know, it's going in a year already that I actually joined the fraternity. So well, that's awesome. And then uh, super proud of him. And then Troy, you're um you're not in yet, but I guess you're friends with these guys and you've been watching this stuff all going on. Yeah, the whole time. Oh, hang on. We gotta put your mic back on. Oh, it's good. I'm Are sorry. we home? We're home. Yeah, we're good. We go. You were making noise over there. I mean, <laughs> I, I turned it down for a minute. That's fine. 
Um, yeah, and it's funny what uh, TJ was mentioning, like how we're, you know, either friends or just, you know, acquaintances or general general problems, you know, where it's easy for you, you know, based on the things that he's done and where he's at now. And I can, TJ being one of my best friends, my brother, it's like I can attest to, I always tell, I always, I always bring this up again about the uh, the one time we were, him and I were coming out of church. And we used to, our, our the regular thing used to be to do a coffee run. We'd like, yeah, let's go get a cup. That was our, that was our code. Let's go get a cup. And the one time I said that to him and we're heading out, he's like, yeah, yes, dude, let's head out and just head down. We're going to go down the block. I'd stop at the house real quick and then we get out. And we get about two thirds of the way down to the house and he stops. He says, you know, bro, he's like, I only got like, I think I got about 14 cents in my account. <laughs> and that's like, and yeah, it just hit me like, whoa, it's like, you know, the struggle's real. So to see where to see where TJ's at now based on where he was, it's like he it wasn't it wasn't just an overnight thing. It wasn't just a you know, he didn't hit the lottery, it wasn't a stroke of like stroke of luck, he's just completely just grinded through to where he's at now. And that's that's um I mean it's one of the most inspirational parts of my life right now is to watch what he's doing. Thank you, brother. So Thank you. So, so TJ, where do you see, like, one of the things we talk about all the time here on the show is, you know, like my story, I joined 21 years ago and I stuck with it because I'm a glutton for punishment, but, <laughs> but like I stuck in the beginning, I, I really, I'm into it and I really enjoy it. And I finally have found what I love about the craft in the past five years. Yeah. But I, it wasn't out there. I couldn't find it. And I eventually had to be part of the group that made it like, and, and it's one of the things like Jack always says, you know, be the change. Yeah. So, you know, what can we do as Freemasons? Like, I just think we have an opportunity to be the mentors and leaders for young men. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm just wondering with your, your background, if there's any way that we could kind of incorporate these things to, and make Freemasonry more of like, I don't know. I know what you're what? trying to, yeah, like, I've thought about that. I've thought about that. And I even had an idea two years ago where I actually got permission from the lodge to use the lodge for a um, mentoring session where I was going to bring a bunch of youth in and then a bunch of some brothers and then some non-brothers and just take on like a big brother-sister program but running out of the lodge. And it didn't work. The guys that wanted to sign up ended up not signing up. So I've thought about that before, and I think there has to be there has to be a way. There's, it's in it's in my mind, but it hasn't materi- materialized yet. So there's got there's got to be something we can do. As as the brothers in the fraternity to actually spend time mentoring just so many. I was just I just did the TED talk and I did, you know the statistics is over fifty seven percent of inner city youth are fatherless households. That's over half. And that is that is huge. There's there's no positive. There's, there's a lack of positive male role models in so many, so many households. Yeah, I hate to like that I live by memes, but like yeah, I saw like a, a it wasn't a funny meme. It was like um, this inner city teacher somewhere that uh, had all these kids and all these kids uh, wearing wearing ties, and most of these kids didn't have a father figure at home. And I think he called it the gentleman's club, and like he and these other teachers were coaching these young men how to become men. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was so, so cool. We, we should just, do, we should do something. 
and I should, oh, spear, I should spear, and I should spear, and I can spearhead it when when the time is right. You know, I wonder if we have an opportunity in in the youth group, in our youth groups, in our Masonic youth groups. I mean, we're talking about youth, and you know, like DMLA, for example, you can join between twelve and twenty one. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's a an avenue, you know, and, through through DMLA. And what I what I what I visualize it actually being youth. So. I'm not sure the lot, the Grand Lodge holds youth accountable for the record when they're when you're 21, your clean, record's clean, nothing pops right. up unless you really dig the law deep. You know, your juvenile record's not there, so we catch the kids before they're adults and they start to offend and get the charges. We save them from that trouble. Yeah, I think that DMLA has has a lot to offer to to youth. I mean, accountability and yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I have to say I, I've been pleasantly surprised by my lot by Lamberton. Um, I'm not from Lancaster County. I'm from Chester County, um, Italian, Catholic. I moved here, and when my buddy was talking to me about the lodge, I was like, oh, I'm going to, like, you know, I'm on medication now to make my skin light, but I I'm used to be really dark. And I'm like, oh, these guys are going to see this Italian come in with, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, Catholic, and they're like, oh, they're not going to like me. They all shook my hand. They like me. Mm-hmm. And then about two years later, one of my friends, um, uh, Miguel, uh, sergeant in the Army, he came to me, um, and he is, I mean, he looks like Denzel Washington. He's not a light-skinned Hispanic guy. He's dark. And no problems. Yeah. Like, right through, they loved him. They, oh, you're a veteran? Oh, my God, these guys went crazy over him. And now, like, you know, I see old, young, black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight coming in the lodge, and they're all there for the right reason. As it should be, yeah. So, I, you know, I just— I, and I, I was a little uncomfortable at first, too. And Carlos was, you know, he's Spanish, so that was helpful. But I, I was, I wasn't sure either. And I got, you know, love. I would have never thought that. Every time I saw you, you didn't look uncomfortable. I was so comfortable. I mean, the first time I was little, the first time, like uh, I thought you were gonna say Carlos didn't look Spanish. <laughs> no, no, no. His name's Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> but it, was just, it was just the beginning where I was uncomfortable. Once I got to know the, the guys, and and you know, it was amazing. And Ron Carson's like leadership, I was so they hooked me. His commitment, he was so committed. I was like, man, I want to be like this guy one day. And I'm not as active in the lodge as I planned to be. I, in the beginning, I never missed anything. First two years, never missed nothing, everything. My life changed. My life actually really changed dramatically. Drastically. Dramatically. Yeah, that dramatically. was a really old. That's a, I like that's that a, word. That's a hip-hop word. I like brother. that word, dramatically. Dramatically. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, and and I, uh, I, I wish that I could quote this verbatim. Pete, maybe you can... You can you can help me, but are we you know, doing Big Daddy Kane lyrics? No, yeah. anything <laughs> yeah. goes. You know you, oh. uh, but you're doing it. I mean, that's the thing. You know, and, and I'm sitting here and you're talking about how we want to, you know, maybe do a program with Lodge, and that's great. But the but the, the reality of that is is that, you know, for you, you figured out that you wanted to go do this out in the community on your own. But you know, that is uh, right in line with what you know Masonry teaches. You know, so when when I hear somebody like you saying, "Man, I wish I was more active in, in lodge," part of me is like, "Man, yeah, we'd love to see you at lodge." But the other part is like, "You're you're doing you're, more good out you're there. You're there. You're you are doing masonry. You're doing what masonry teaches you." And, and we're blessed here in central and eastern Pennsylvania because we're surrounded by so many A list masons, guys that have Masonic resumes out the Yazoo, and they could just sit here and show us dues cards for a week and talk about their titles. And Larry and I were saying, "No." We need, let's just, we need to talk about, talk to interesting men who are Masons. They don't need to be the 33rd degree past everything Mason. 
you know, and, and so that, that's why we're so excited that you're doing this and that you're part of us. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, we're, we're proud of you, even if you're not the most active Mason. Thank well, you. Well, just so you know, when TJ does come to Lodge, he's treated like a freaking celebrity. So, <laughs> oh, my God, here he is. <laughs> so he might not be there all the time, but when he is there, he's noticed. And, and I will make, make this clear. One of, the, but one of the most important things that ever happened to me was becoming a Master Mason. And anyone that knows me knows that. Anybody that's interested in coming to, is just one of the most important and powerful things in my life was to become a Mason. Well, and like, I'm so proud of it. Like Shaquille O'Neal, whenever you're in a photograph, you have your hand definitely displaying that ring on I your do. finger. I've seen so many photographs of you. And that, 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 that symbol is there. Very it's proud. Fantastic. Shaq's and ring Shaq is a little bigger. Shaq does the same thing. Yeah, yeah a lot Shaq's bigger. A bit, yeah, Jack's a big guy. Well, bigger, he's, big, all, he's also got a lot of sapphires. Yeah, in big, it. bigger diamonds <laughs> in it, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, we should uh, take a quick break. We should take a quick break. And then we'll come back and you can tell us about your movie because uh, we want to give you some plugs too. Um, we want you to become a big star so that you, you decline next time we ask you to come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's I'll send uh, you my rider, my request. My, I only want yellow M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to uh, Jeff Moyer and maybe some news before we do that. And then we'll be back we'll right, right back. with TJ. The Sonic Light Podcast. Past Master Moyer again. I just finished listening to episode 60. Another great episode. Uh, Matt Blaisdell was an outstanding interview, and it really makes me feel good that our fraternity is smart enough to hire young men such as him. Uh, when I hear about the Cornerstone Group and read about the path forward, our fraternity is, we're okay. We, we're where we need to be right now, and, and we're going to be... We're going to be fine moving forward. I really enjoyed your uh, broken mic thing with uh, Larry Maris. Didn't hear much out of him for the first two-thirds of the show, but unfortunately, either you fixed his mic or, or gave him a working mic. Maybe the next show, uh, just keep that out of his hands for the whole show, and then just continue to slowly get him out the door. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Good news, everyone! Masonic Light News. News not fit to print. I can't hear it. Oh, oh, well, go ahead. They just played the music. In Masonic News today, Masonic authorities have issued a general statement to all Grand Lodges that although he's been dead for nearly 200 years, Joseph Cernow will be dug up and his remains will be burnt, mixed with dirt from a landfill in Yonkers, and then scattered over the North Atlantic Ocean, after which his name will be stricken from the examination of a visitor in every lodge. A Cernobration is being planned for the Grand Lodge of Upstate New York sometime next year. That's the Masonic News. So mode it was. Bathroom break is over. Put that thing away and let's get back to the show. 
Hey, and we're back with Brother TJ. We're all looking. So, <laughs> who's going to go? Who's, who's going to talk? I guess it's me. <laughs> so, TJ, so um, tell us a little bit more about um, the Power Project and, and your movie. Tell us what's going on in your life personally and professionally. So, um, was blessed with the opportunity to audition for a film, independent faith-based film called Choices. I was supposed to audition for the, a role, a small role of a character by the name of Dino, who was a drug dealer. And this movie is based on the true story of Ron James, and there was a drug dealer in his life called Dino. They asked me to go audition. I could not make it to West Virginia for the audition, so I was told I could send in a video. When I did the video, and actually Troy was there that day, him and another friend, Jose Rios, our other brother, Master Mason, was filming my Dino audition. When that was done, I said, let me look, because you can look on their website of everyone that was casting, and I seen the, the lead role was being casted. And they have the script of what the, the actors are going to audition with down south. And it was really boring lines. It was like Ron trying to pass a bad check at a clothing store. I was like, why would they use that? Isn't there something more powerful? I looked through the script and seen a scene where Ron James had a crack binge, bad drug binge, and de- he started seeing demons coming at him, and he, ter- he tears up a hotel room. I said, maybe I'll just do this for the heck of it and send it in. Never was asked for the lead role to do that. Never was told. It's not even part of the audition. Had them film me doing it, doing it, send it in, and I don't know if it was a day later or two days later, I get a call from California, and the gentleman says, we just seen your audition. Amazing. We want to offer you the role. Wow. I said, well, Dino was easy for me to play because that was me when back in the day, so I could just do this. I'm excited. He goes, no, 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 not Dino. We want you to play the lead, Ron James. <laughs> he said, are you SAG? What? Are you affiliated? And I'm like, I don't know what none of that is. How much is it going to cost you to, to get you? I said, well, how much do y'all got? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the role. Then I panicked because once I hung up the phone, contracts came in the mail, and I'm like, email. I'm like, I have to. How do, you act, how do you act? <laughs> right. Yeah. I've acted twice in church, first person stuff. I never was in front of a camera. So now I'm on, online watching YouTube videos, acting classes with the, and it just terrified me. Only look at the camera with this side. Make sure your head's turned this way. Make sure all this stuff, I'm like, what am I doing? My wife said, do what you did on the audition. God would not have given you the opportunity if you could not handle it. Relax. So then I had to go to West Virginia with a crew of like a hundred people with the cast and everybody. And I'm the lead, and I've never acted, and all these people are depending on me to do this film. And it was extremely, hardest work I ever did, extremely challenging, but I took it very serious. I studied Ron, and I studied, and I studied the script, and I studied, and just been some really great feedback from the performance. So that movie's called Choices. Choices, the Ron James story. And it's out in limited release. Mm Mm-hmm. But it'll probably be a wider release on one of the, yep, and and like a Netflix or a Prime or Hulu or something. Yep, 2019 it'll be streaming. You can go to the yourchoicefoundation.com and request it. They may send you some. They may not. You you got to purchase it. Money does go to the, to, to back to the foundation. There's screenings around the country. We had two screenings in Lancaster at Penn Cinema. They both sold out. May first and second, I think it was. And um. There's been some church screenings around, so there's more coming, and I'll let you guys know. Yeah, that's the, awesome. The, the, the film was created to inspire hope and change and redemption. That's why the film was made. So it's about 
Ron did 25 years in prison and 25 years of addiction. Now he's a published author of multiple books, a movie on his life, and is, he's, he's one of the biggest youth speakers in the country. And where's Ron from Baltimore? Or? Ron was born and raised in Philly. He lives in New York. He's, okay. He's, he's local. Nice. Very cool. So that's the movie, and um, maybe we could do something with The Lodge and have a, sh- have a screening. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really neat. I never thought about that. Yeah. I have a screening and I was I was amazed when you go back like talking about faith stuff when um uh the Passion of the Christ came out. Yeah. And I'm watching that being shown in churches all over the United States. And I'm like, well, that's weird. That's funny you say that. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. And then um didn't Tyler Perry I don't know if he was church, but like his movies were really underground in the black community. And then all of a sudden he's like this multi million dollar yeah. he was making millions and Mainstream American didn't know who he was. Yeah, ninety nine percent of his films have faith entwined in it, and there's been some churches that that have turned down our film due to, um, you know, it's drug abuse and there's no profanity, there's no sexual content, but there's drug use and there's some demons and there's some and they've turned it down. And I've said some question, but you showed Passion of the Christ. I mean, <laughs> doesn't get more viciously, violently raw than that film, but it's scary sometimes. It's you know. But it's, it's, that's what it's well, for. No, no, it's that's another topic. We'll, 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 we'll have a Catholic talk later. Another, um, another topic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that, and the vision program. We still go into different um, juvenile facilities, detention centers, rehabs, after school programs, and prisons all over the state and throughout the country. Now, another brother, Jose Rios, Master Mason, you guys know, is a music producer, but goes by the name of Flex Sound. He's also joined on with me. He has a program called Dream Loud where he goes into these same facilities and he teaches audio production, recording, and hip-hop. So now we come, he'll come with a portable recording studio into these these juvenile prisons and set up and have to teach the kids how to produce music, record, and possibly even leave with completed music, clean music. Well, you know, if they need an internship, uh, we can always replace Jason with one of those young men. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys can check it out at divisionprogram.com. Or dreamloud.com. You know, true true story, we're always looking for music. So if there's any, I mean, I know this may not be the venue that, uh, you know, somebody <laughs> wants to, <laughs> yeah, it's right. air this their This is a resume Jose builder. Jose would love to build but we content would, for you guys' music. But we would certainly, you know, use it as transitions. Absolutely. And uh, honest to God, if there's some, some good, good would, music coming out of his program, we'd be happy to support he could, that. He could create it. He just got a bunch of his music placed on some television shows on Bravo. Oh, wow. One of our brothers. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. So now yeah, I, um, uh, one of our brothers from um, from Lodge Forty Three, and he's not active. I think he's actually uh, f- talking about non- non-payment of dues now. Um, Quentin Jones. Uh. Um, so Quentin, you know, Quentin's a local musical guy, a guitar player, but he's been in a bunch of bands. But he wrote a song that was on Numbers. I guess it was a TV show, mm-hmm. and that was recorded mm-hmm. by. Um, Lee Rocker from the Stray Cats. Yep, cool. And and this guy, he's been a musician for years, uh, a producer and every, playing every instrument. But he's like, yeah, there's like every week or two, there's a check in my mailbox because of numbers. Yeah, publishing, baby. Wow. Yeah, publishing's a great thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we can't send a check to your friend, but we certainly would play. <laughs> we'd play the music. <laughs> he's your brother, so he. Yeah, he, all right. He, there you know, go. But to that, our go, that goes back to like the whole like if we get into the uh, the whole positive talking thing, like niche marketing like like we're in 60 even with larry's math larry always exaggerates but we're in over 60 countries and you know probably somewhere between 60 and a hundred thousand listeners we know a hundred listens 
Big difference. Oh, we listen. <laughs> listen. Podcasts. Oh, God. So the stats are really TJ, bad. Let's stats talk about the, uh, the Vision Pro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can book you can book us. It's not just me. I also book But yeah, other, yeah. Like these speakers. little niche things are way, the way to go. I'm just trying to sell them and recording for us. Yeah, right. Okay. Here's my reality. We have 3 million listeners uh, on four planets. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so, TJ, where can we find all of your... Where, where, you yeah, what's the Vision's uh, website? www.thevisionprogram.com. And we, we do all kinds of programs at different juvenile facilities and also speaking engagements. And it's not just myself. I also book other speakers. Like You can book actor, rapper Ice-T through me and many other speakers as well. But we render these programs for at-risk youth and young adults struggling. And I'm also a training pro- program. So if there's a youth facility that wants some hip-hop culture training to understand the youth that they're dealing with and how to break down barriers by actually entertaining the idea of hip-hop and teaching you how to do that and teach you the history of it, I'm also a Pennsylvania um, certified trainer through the PCB and DDAP, the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs. But I render it way out of PA, from New York to Washington State, hip-hop trainings at your schools, at your youth care facilities, where the staff get to understand what this music is, and it's also a culture. And so many organizations, from churches to schools to institutions, shut the door on hip-hop because of the negative content. When you shut the door on the hip-hop, you shut the door on the kids. You become old, oh. You're old, you're irrelevant, you don't get it, you don't understand, and a wall doesn't, the wall only comes down so much because you're old and you don't get us. If you're open to the idea of entertaining the idea of, what is this? Who's this rapper? And you understand how to do, the wall comes down because now you're not shutting the door on them. Rap is something you do, hip hop is something you live. The way we talk, the way we walk, the way we wear our pants, it's not all acceptable when the pants hanging off your butt, I know, it's not, that is it's part of the culture. I tried to change when I found God, I couldn't. It's who I am. It's my DNA. So I teach staff how to actually entertain this and open the door a little bit so the kids can come through. You can break the walls down. So you can get us through training as well all through the country and other countries. 60-some countries, I'll fly out. <laughs> Divisionprogram.com. I, I like it. I can hear the passion in your voice. I'm just watching you light up when you're talking about it. Oh, wow. So thank you so much for coming in. Thank you guys and for having close. me. And you're close. You can uh, pop in whenever you want. Thank um, you guys for having me. Especially very, if you bring something down from upstairs. I'm, I'm honored <laughs> and humbled to be here. And we will reach out to Mr. Jose Rios. He's a listener, too. That'd be wonderful. Is he? And let him produce some music oh, for very you guys. Awesome. He, he can produce awesome. all the music if he wants. That'd be awesome. <laughs> he would love it. And he doesn't do rap. He does everything, so... Oh, that's great. Uh, so what we're going to do, we'll, we'll go, well, Jason, you have anything going on in the next uh, week or two? Yeah, I do. Hang on. Let me get to my notes, Pete. See, I took notes and it's going to sound like I'm reading right off my notes. Uh, coming up, it, well, the, the, this show would have already aired, but there is the, uh, the Battlefield uh, Low Veil degree. I'll be going to that in uh, Gettysburg on Wednesday. And I'll be conferring a first degree, uh, I think, next week for Lamberton, not for 43. And uh, later in October, I think I'm conferring a few for 43. And uh, Blood Drive. We got the Blood Drive coming up locally. And Academy of Masonic Knowledge, which I believe is on October 27th. 27th, yeah. And a couple good speakers there. And you can uh, find all that on our website uh, and on the uh, Pennsylvania Grand Lodge website. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's and about it. And we share it. stuff on Facebook once in a while, too. We do. Occasionally, we do that as well, yeah. TJ, and not, not just Masonically, what do you have? Anything coming up? Uh, any engagements next couple weeks? This, sat- this Saturday, I am speaking at the Success Summit at Lancaster Marriott and Convention Center downtown Lancaster. There's a, um, an event going on, some local entrepreneurs and su- very successful as well. I'm going to just speak on how to overcome challenges, how to face your fear, set goals and the law of attraction and just 
being successful, whether it's in business or just in life. That is this Saturday, the 29th at the Lancaster Host and Marriott. Very cool. Troy, do you have that, you have that petition filled out yet? <laughs> uh, he has to, he has uh, to ask. To oh, okay. I'm old school. <laughs> he's saying he's old school. He's 10 years below me. Not some damn old school. They know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. If he never asked, he's not interested. Yeah, back back when I joined, it was like, ask one to be one. Send yeah. me an email I'll, uh, and $50. <laughs> yeah, you can join Lodge 49. It'll be uh, two, two, $2,000. You can find a microphone there. Here's Larry. He's Larry's. What did, what did you tell me before we got here about the, about the Lodge, what, what this brotherhood has done for you? You should share that quick. Oh, um, well, I, I've been through a rough patch in my life, you know, uh, with my family and stuff. And um, right before we got here, I, I told TJ how grateful I am with the brothers and the lodge and, you know, the little things like coffee in the morning and meeting uh, for pizza because it, it, it's been really hard for me. Like, it's either I'm glad TJ I met TJ when I did, and I asked him the right questions. And he had lost his family. Yeah, right when he became a man. Being, being around the brothers has helped me a lot to become stronger and keep you busy. Keep me busy. You know, my mind's out of that negativity, and uh, I'm 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 good. I'm grateful for my brothers. And um, he told me the fraternity actually saved my life. Yeah, they did. Wow, that's awesome. So I'm I'm happy. And that's why I'm like. Participating a lot, and every time Brother Larry asks me to do something at the lodge, I'm I'm for it. And every Saturday, I'm I'm forward. I'm looking forward to getting that coffee for my brother. So I would too if it wasn't so early. <laughs> That's the whole point. Coffee early in the morning. The goose in the gridiron. It's too late in the day. Coffee. It's too early. <laughs> coffee is literally half an hour before. Goose and Gridiron. It's 8.30 at Mean Cup on Harrisburg Pike. Saturday morning, though. Saturday morning. Now, everybody runs a little bit slow on Saturday, so it's more like 8.45. I'm always there warming up the seats for everybody. Yeah. Okay. So you just never know <laughs> sometimes the, the brotherhood is what it's doing for people. Right. Yeah. You have no idea. You know, I heard um, on another podcast, another Masonic podcast, I think it was Ex Oriente, and, and I'm, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but there was something that they said that I thought was pretty powerful, and uh, they were just... They were kind of talking about the elevator pitch, like what what does Freemasonry actually do, you know? Because you ask a hundred Masons and you'll have a thousand a si- different a system of morals veiled in allegory, illustrated by symbols. Right, right. What? Well, you'll, you'll, yeah, everybody has their own opinion, and one of them said that Freemasonry teaches men to become emotionally close, right, and have compassion and affection for each other in a masculine, you know, non-judging environment. And I was like, man, that is, that's huge. And I may trademark that. Well, I, I, well, they said on an exit and I probably butchered it a little bit, but, uh, it's like, man, that is, uh, and I think that's exactly what you're speaking to Carlos. I mean, you know, these guys in the lodge are, are, are some of my closest, well, they're, they're, you know, their family, brother Ken Hudson, you know, is, is, uh, one of my, my dearest, closest friends who wasn't for masonry. would have never met. In any event, should we Larry, go home? Larry, you have anything else going on? Uh, tall Cedars tomorrow. Tall Cedars tomorrow night. Breakfast. It's, uh, um, yeah. Also, well, tomorrow night, yeah, Wednesday, the uh, Rudyard Kipling uh, Dinner Committee meeting, which will benefit Masonic Light Podcast. We'll talk more about that on year. a future episode. Yeah, we will. Got to get the over-under right. on it. Well, and, well, well uh, Pete's helping, it might happen. 
Yeah. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I've got the best committee ever, so don't give me any grief. Uh, so tomorrow night, I'm. Um, uh, we have uh, Tall Cedars of Lebanon. Um, meetings are open. Just got to let me know. So uh, Master Masons are allowed to attend. We encourage you to join. Non-Masons are allowed to attend most of our meetings. Um, so tomorrow night, we're having a farmer's night. So we're encouraging everybody to dress up like a farmer. I don't know what I'm going to... I mean, I'm from Kennett Square. I guess I'll wear a bump hat with a light on it because I'm a mushroom farmer. Just get a, get a, a Sharpie and black out a tooth and get a straw hat. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's terrible. If you're a farmer just like all my friends from Jalisco. As Larry a, said uh, that. <laughs> Larry, take us out of here. All right, everybody. Chicken music, please. Special thanks to uh, Effort Lodge 665. <clears throat> For making this facility available, we thank the brothers there every every time we think about it. But thank you guys. Uh, I'm losing my voice. I, I guess the drink wasn't strong enough. Uh, anyway, Larry's got a voice for television. Yeah, I have a voice problem. Also, thanks to no, I'm not thanks to brother T.J. Griffin, our guest. Thank you, brother Troy, or soon to be brother Troy, and brother Carlos. Um, News Director Jack Harley uh, coming to us from Boston and our, uh, our, our wonderful producer Jason Lewis oh, thank you. always for a job well done it's a masterpiece and to all of our guests and the people out there listening to us this is Larry Maris good night thanks this for listening this is Pete Ruggieri Jason Lewis TJ Griffin Troy Richardson oh that's okay that sounds funny Carlos <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Awesome. You've been listening to the Masonic Light Podcast with brothers Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, Jason Lewis, Jack Harley, and me, your dulcet toned announcer, Brian Hill. Listen to all our episodes on our website, www.masoniclight.com, or via your favorite podcasting service.